Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Reb T, which we try to do in a bi-weekly basis. The year where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is do not judge, but make sure to budge. Do not judge, but make sure to budge is tonight's topic. Sources from Safaria and H.com unless noted otherwise. Look out for the points to carry over, the PTCs to take with you, hopefully, from the shear. Once we put the shear online, Amir Tashembli Nader, we put him up with the sources, with the bold italics and underlined. All shearim are on shearenjoyment.com slash shearim slash shearim dash reb dash t. Shout out to Jake W. and Ellie N. for their wonderful work on shear enjoyment. The lecture series, the PAL. The Audio DT and OT talk show are on different different podcast forums. We're on break now from OT and PAL, but we'll be back and finish up, God willing, before the summer. Feel free to email rebt at sheerenjoyment.com. The sheer should serve as a zechus for the refuah shalim of anyone sick or anyone needing a Yeshua or a refuah. How could he do that to me? I cannot believe she just cut me off like that. Who does he think he is to jump right in front of us? I cannot fathom how she could leave without paying. I've been waiting for three hours and he could waltz right in? What audacity of that guy. He has some nerve. Where's the decency? Where's the proper Derek Eretz? What a Shanda. Chances are if you said any or thought any of these things or things along similar lines, you're guilty of not judging favorably. We are instructed by Hashem through the Torah to do what we can in a logical way, to judge others favorably, to give people the benefit of the doubt, to think about the other side of the story. How often do we judge others? How easy is it to automatically assume you know or have all the facts? All too often this is most definitely not the case. The Gemara explains that we are obligated to judge someone favorably, if they are a tzaddik doing an act that seems negative, to find something positive and look for something good. We will, God's willing, see the source in person later. There's an amazing book I read many years ago, published by Art School, called The Other Side of the Story, by Yehudit Samet, fascinating, fantastic book which depicts stories and uh, the other side of the story quite literally. A highly recommended, highly excellent book, which literally goes through this topic with stories and looking at the other side as well as with tips and pointers, a few of which we will, God willing, see soon. Too often we falsely accuse without giving people the benefit of the doubt, without thinking about the other side of the story. We need to make sure to not judge, but to make sure to budge and think differently. We don't know what was going on in a person's life at a time something happened. We can't judge a person for what happened as we were not in their shoes. We cannot imagine what it was like to be in such a situation at such a time. We don't have all the info. We don't have all the details. We don't know all the story. If you're going to judge, I always say, the only type of judging you should do, are allowed to do, are implored to do, is to judge others favorably. That is the one type, the only type of judgment that should ever be allowed. The Pasuk teaches us in Vayikra, Perak Yudtet, Pasuk Tetvav, Lo sasu ava bamishpat, lo sisa penei dava, lo sehadar penei gadol, bet sedek, tishpot amisecha. You shall commit no injustice in judgment. You shall not favor a poor person or respect a great man. You shall judge your fellow with righteousness. Right away, Rashi picks up and says, what does that mean? Judge your fellow with righteousness. First shot, first understanding is that it's according to the apparent meaning. Be righteous with judging people. But another explanation is to literally judge your fellow favorably. Literally give him the benefit of the doubt. We are implored, implored by Hashem, literally from the words of the Torah, by law, 
to judge others favorably. Hashem exhorts us, commands us to look to the positive of those around us, judging them to the benefit of the doubt. In my own personal life, when I see someone engaged in a behavior or doing something, for example, let's call him John Doe, an upstanding righteous religious Orthodox Jew, and he runs into a McDonald's. I immediately think about and say to myself this response, What? John, how could you? I thought you were an upstanding citizen of the Jewish faith. How could you do this? My immediate reaction is to judge negatively. But I must think to myself, stop. Pause. Think about the situation logically. Why did he go inside there? Did he have a purpose? Did he have a reason? I'm sure there must be a logical explanation. Maybe he desperately needed to use the bathroom. Maybe he was chalishing from thirst and desperately needed a drink and bought a bottle of water, sealed water, perfectly kosher as this was the only place to get one in the immediate vicinity. Maybe he desperately needed change in order to give money to a poor person right now. The possibilities abound and we must try to think through them and to think about them. When we are driving on the road and someone cuts us off, speeds by us, or is zipping through the lanes, quite often my wife will say the classic line, maybe they are rushing to the hospital and need to get there fast. A simple way to think and reframe a situation that could otherwise make us upset. If we are driving and stuck in major traffic, maybe we could think to ourselves, I hope that no one is hurt and there is no accident. Maybe there is construction. I hope it's road work that is tying up the lanes and that everyone is all right. Don't automatically think negative or accuse falsely. There are different examples through the Torah and Tanakh about how characters spoke and interacted, especially in this area. I just want to point out a few. Look at this famous example from Shmuel Aleph. Aleph. We know Hannah desperately wanted a child and she wanted it for years and there was Hannah and there was and there was Penina and she went up to the Mikdash and, and she was praying. So right here in the text it says, Now Hannah was praying in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice could not be heard. So Eli, the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Sober up. Khan replied, oh no, my lord. No, no, no. I am a very unhappy woman. I have drunk no wine or other strong drink, but I've been pouring out my heart to Hashem. Do not take your maidservant for a worthless woman. I've only been speaking all this time out of my great anguish and distress. Right away, Eli says, go up in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She answered, you're most kind to your handmaid. She left, she ate, was no longer downcast. And lo and behold, of course, she had Shmuel, the great Shmuel Hanavi, later on. But interestingly, his response, right away, he corrected himself. Why did he think that she was acting in such a manner that he would think that's what was she was doing. First of all, the sages, commentators say, most times people would pray out loud. She wasn't praying out loud. But other sources say something very interesting, which we'll look at in one second. This, this itself might be the source for giving a bracha, for falsely accusing someone and not judging favorably. This is a classic example on negatively interpreting the situation. I believe there's a commentator or a midrash that explains that this might have been the reason that Eli accused her in such a way. He used the Urm Vitumim, literally asking Hashem on the stones about Chana and the letters Shin, Chaf, Resh, Hey lit up. And how did he spell it out? There weren't a kudot. There wasn't any way that said which way to put the letters together. So he said, okay, Shin, Chaf, Resh, Hey, all right, Shik, Hey, Ra. That's what I think it is. She's full of drunkenness. She's full of alcohol. So he thought she was drunk, but really switched the letters around. Chaf, Shin, Resh, Hey, Kishay Ra was really what it said. Not Kishay Ra. 
Not not shikera, kishera, kosher. Literally, she's all good. Misinterpreting in the wrong way. Falsely accusing, right away owning up to the mistake, blessing her. She goes on to have one of the greatest people in Jewish history. A different example from Shmuel Bet, Perigvav. David HaMelech wants to bring the Aron back to, to Yerushalayim, wants to put it in a better place. It was in different places for different reasons, and he's so excited, he's so happy, he's literally dancing up a storm, literally a storm in front of all the Jews, in front of the Bnei Israel, and who is watching him while he is dancing? As the Ark of Hashem enters the city of David, Ir David, which of course exists today, easily can be seen, Michal, daughter of Shaul, his wife, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before Hashem. She despised him for it. They brought in the Ark of Hashem. They set it up in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. David sacrificed offerings before Hashem. When David finished sacrificing the offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Hashem. He distributed to everybody, Israel, in Israel, man and woman alike, bread, a cake, and a raisin cake. Then everyone went home. Listen to this. David goes home to greet his household, to greet his wife. Michal, daughter of Shaul, comes out to meet David and said, Didn't the king of Israel do himself honor today? Exposing himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects as one of the riffraff might expose himself. David says back to Michal, It was before Hashem who chose me instead of your father and all his family and appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will dance before Hashem, and I will dishonor myself even more, and be low in my own esteem. But among the slave girls that you speak of, I will be honored. The the Pasuk goes on to explain that she was punished, and we don't have to go into that, but the basic premise is that two people looking at the same action in vastly different ways, a false accusation, led to devastating consequences for one of the characters much later on. Michal immediately seeing negative and David seeing positive. David saying, I'm dancing before Hashem. And Michal saying, you're riffraffing in front of everybody. Falsely accusing bad, bad consequences later on. Look at this other example from Shmuel Aleph Yidzayin. The very famous story of David coming and destroying Goliath. Goliath, this big, plishti warrior, this giant, which we don't know how tall he might have been. He might have only been 13 feet or 7 feet or 20 feet, whatever. He's, he's mocking Hashem, mocking the Jewish people day in and day out. Nobody could stand up to him. David, who at this point was probably 12, 13 years old, a young lad, maybe even younger, his father, Jesse Yishai, sends him to go take care of his, go check on his brothers, bring food to his brothers. And that's where we are. Early next morning, David left someone in charge of the flock, took the provisions and set out as his father, Yishai, Jesse, had instructed him. He reached the barricade as the army was going out to the battle lines, shouting the war cry. The Israel and the Pelishti drew up their battle lines opposite each other. David left his baggage with the man in charge of the baggage and ran toward the battle line and went to greet his brothers. And a little bit later in the paragraph, when Eliav, his eldest brother, heard him speaking to the men, Eliav became angry with David and says to him, Why did you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your impudence. I know your impertinence. You came down here to watch the fighting. You're having FOMO. You got to be down here. Where is everything else? Why are you here? Dove replies, what have I done now? I was only asking. He turned away from him. He was actually following his own dad's orders. Can you imagine? He turned away from him towards somewhere else, to someone else. He asked the same question. The troops gave him the same answer as before. The things David said were overheard, reported Shaul had him brought over, and then David volunteers to fight the Plishti Goliath. The armor is given to him, it miraculously fits him. David goes out with literally a slingshot on like three pebbles, three rocks, slings him in the head, Goliath falls over, David slays him, chops off his head, craziness. David is, is glorified and literally saves the Jews single-handedly as a tiny lad. But of course, Eliab falsely accuses him. David's brother negatively accused him of coming for trouble or for a spectator sport when really David was following his father's orders and ends up saving the whole Jewish people as a young lad 
With only a slingshot and a few rocks to kill and behead Goliath the giant, saving the whole Jewish people. Maybe everyone should have thought about the Pirkei Avos in Aleph Vav, very famous Perik, very famous Mishnah, rather, in Pirkei Avos. Yeshua ben Prachia, Venitai Arbil Kumu Mehem. Yeshua ben Prachia, Omra, Selacha Rav, Okanelacha Chaver, the heavy done at Kol Ha'adam. So Yeshua and Nittai, they receive the traditions, the Torah, and they say, Yeshua himself says, make a teacher, acquire a friend, but judge every person favorably. And notice the way that the words are written now. We're going to look at it further later on. But it says, It doesn't say, It says, we don't waste words, we don't waste letters in the Jewish language, especially in Mishnais, especially in the Torah, where every word, letter, Pasuk is measured out by Hashem, and the sages measured out. They dafka said, Don et kol ha-adam. Judge every person, the whole person, the whole of the person, all of the person favorably. Look at that wording in the Mishnah, Don et kol ha-adam. The phraseology teaches us we have to judge the whole person, the whole of the person, not just the small situation or act we are seeing. The whole person, the whole of the person in our life, proving to us we are most definitely missing details in front of us. We implored not only by Hashem Himself to judge favorably those around us, but by the sages themselves asking us in their words of ethics and morals, Perkeavos, to go about thinking about others in a favorable and benefit of the doubt way. The mission of Perkeavos in Bet Dalit teaches us Hillel Omer al Tifroshmanat Sibar, Vial Tamin Baatzmacha Ad Yomoscha, Vial Tadin et Chavercha Ad Shetagialim Komo. Hillel, a fascinating, amazing personage in his own right, he says, Don't separate from the community. Don't trust in yourself until the day of your death. Do not judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. Hillel himself, by the way, could speak of many things. He had a very interesting life. You know, he didn't have a lot of money. He literally went on the rooftop of the study hall in the frigid winter, being snow piled upon him. They had to drag him out and resuscitate him almost. You know, he had the most patience for people asking him hundreds of times the same question. People asking to be converted... Uh oh. People ask it to be converted on the um people ask it to be converted on the on the on the leg of one foot. People had to be asked about to be converted on the leg of one foot. Hillel a very fascinating character in and of his own right. Hillel being a fascinating, fascinating character. Hillel teaches us that we have to make sure to actually judge people in the right way. We have to make sure to take care of people in the right way. We're just going to pause a second and call back the phone line. The phone died. Hold on. This doesn't usually happen, but we're going to just reconnect for one second. Just give us one second. Technical difficulties. We're just going to reconnect for one second. We are so sorry about those technical difficulties, but we're back. For those of you who we missed for a minute or two or three or so, I'm so sorry about that. My phone was not charged, but we are back now. We are talking about how Hillel said, Do not judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. Do not judge your fellow man. Hillel himself knows this stuff. He himself had a very interesting life. You know, the, the converts came to him on one foot and he said, I'll take the challenge. I'll take the convert. I will convert you. People would ask him the same question hundreds of times. I'll take your question. I will do it. Hill himself went to the rooftop to learn without any money. And he did it even to be buried on pile, a pile, a pile of snow. Don't judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. Do not judge until you have reached his place. We don't know what's going on in someone's life behind closed doors. 
So how can we judge them? We don't have all the facts or all the information. How can we decide what really happened? We can't really understand a person in their situation unless we ourselves have been in that exact situation. And most times we are not or have not been. So we shouldn't judge them to begin with. Perkevos also tells us in Dalad Yudchet, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, Al Teratzes Chaver Chabeshas Kaso, Ve'al Tenachameu Beshashu Meso Mutolafana, Ve'al Tishalo Beshas Nedrom, Ve'al Tishadler also Beshas Kalkalaso. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar said, Do not try to appease your friend during his hour of anger, nor comfort him at the hour while his dead still lies before him nor question him at the hour of his vow, nor strive to see him in the hour of his disgrace. Very important Mishnah. All the Mishnahs in Pekah are really important. That's why we have a whole show about it, season upon season, the Mirz Hashem. We're on break now, but we'll come back, God willing, in a few weeks. This Mishnah is the importance of timing, the importance of placement. Don't try to get in the wrong timing. It'll be catastrophic in the wrong way. It's impossible to understand a person's actions or behavior unless you're in their place, especially if they majorly struggle in an area. For someone who loves the smell of McDonald's, unless you're in that same situation or feeling, you can't and won't really understand why they want to or did walk by McDonald's all the time. It's also of importance to remember the value of timing and place. If someone is angry at that moment... Because they couldn't withstand walking by McDonald's to inhale the aromas, that is not the time for Musser. Unless we have such a situation in our own lives, we can't really fathom or understand what others go through, and we should thus not judge or give benefit of the doubt. Don Lekavschus, only judge favorably. Make sure not to judge, but make sure to budge. H.com points out with author Yaakov Aster on the Perkei Avot Mishnah of, of Aleph Vav, when it says, judge everyone favorably, it could have a few interpretations. It could be teaching, in addition to a rabbi and a friend, you need others, every person in your life, and therefore judge them favorably. It could also be referring to the way you should deal with your two primary others, a rabbi and a friend. Sometimes a rabbi or best friend may do something that appears out of character. Nevertheless, the Mishnah exhorts, judge them favorably. Do not assume the worst. You're probably missing the full picture. The trick is to look at each person as an aggregate whole, a combination of good and bad who are decent human beings dealing with their life struggles just like you are. The phrase could also mean, like we talked about before, judge the whole person, not every person favorably. Even though each of us has our faults, the trick is to look at each person as an aggregate whole, a combination of good and bad, success and failure, who are, in the final analysis, decent human beings dealing with their life struggles just like you are. H.com points out with author Sarah Yocheved Riegler, the Torah enjoins us, judge your favor, your fellow man justly. The classic commentators explore this to mean judge your fellow man favorably, interpret his actions and words only to the good. Instead of condemning whenever possible, devise a favorable interpretation. 3,000 years before the advent of cognitive psych, the Torah recognized that our attitudes and our words and actions are formed by not what the other person said or did, but rather by our interpretation of what the other person said or did. Therefore, the Torah obligates us whenever possible to find or devise a favorable interpretation. This mitzvah pulls the rug out from the critical condemning attitude that categorizes much of our interpersonal relations. And in practice, it looks like this. Instead of faulting a friend for not calling you back when she said she would, you could think she may have tried to call me back, but my line was busy. Or she may have received an important call just, be- just when she was about to dial my number. Instead of faulting your spouse for being late again, you could think, I'm not time-challenged like he or she is. But how much have I really changed my own ingrained bad habits? Instead of faulting a repairman for not coming when he said he would, leaving you sitting at home all day waiting, you could think his previous client may have had a more complicated job than expected. Or when he went to phone me that he'd be late, he couldn't find my number, or his cell phone battery was low, just like my phone landline was low and I didn't realize. 
The result of judging others favorably is that we cultivate a positive, sympathetic attitude towards others. When we don't think badly about others, when we don't speak badly about others, when we certainly don't act out angry, vengeful behaviors, we don't jump to conclusions. Don't think, don't speak, don't act is the way it could flow. We don't condemn people who may be suffering circumstances far beyond our can. We avoid a host of sin simply by putting our minds into the mode of favorable judgment. Judging others favorably does not preclude self-protective actions or positive steps to redress wrongs. Judging others favorably doesn't mean to leave your $300 iPod on your desk when you go to the restroom. It does mean if you don't find your iPod where you left it, where you're sure you left it, check every drawer, check every pocket before you start suspecting your fellow workers. Often we are sure and wrong. Judging others favorably does not mean that when your child comes home in tears because your teacher yelled at her and insulted her, you should refrain from taking measures to handle the situation. It does mean that before angrily calling the principal, tearing the house down, and demanding that the teacher be fired, you entertain the possibility that you haven't heard the full story. And that, even if the teacher did act wrongly, extenuating circumstances may have caused the usually fair teacher to act out of character. The great book, The Other Side of the Story by Yehudit Samet, offers strategies for judging others favorably. There is a sampling that we're going to share. Stop applying a double standard. Many of us judge others severely while we have a host of excuses for our own reprehensible behavior. For example, we grumble about others, drivers double parking their cars and thus blocking a whole lane. But when we double park, it's okay because our son is just jumping out of the car for one minute to pick up the dry cleaning and we didn't know there'd be a line. I actually have my own Choshe Bikshirim story, my own Don Lakovska story. When my wife and I got married, I was doing fieldwork level two, graduate level fieldwork for occupational therapy in a hand clinic. We were living in Brooklyn at the time in an apartment in, uh, in Flatbush. And I used to complain all the time to, to my supervisor and to people, you know, no one ever says good Shabbos to me on Shabbos. Why is that? People pretend I don't exist. They don't see me. Why doesn't anyone say good Shabbos? And people would say so. If I see you, I'll say good Shabbos. One time my wife and I are leaving the apartment building. I feel very flustered. And someone says good Shabbos. I, I don't hear them or I don't see them. And they say, see, you told me you don't like when people don't say good Shabbos, but you didn't say good Shabbos to me. Who was it? My own supervisor walking on the street on Shabbos, and I didn't say good Shabbos to her. Ha <laughs> ha! Karma. What goes around comes around. Obviously not, not the word we use in Judaism, but hashkacha uh, pratis in an interesting way. I said at work, I don't like it when nobody says good Shabbos to me. Falsely accusing the Jewish people. Hashem sends my own supervisor on the street to say good Shabbos to me, and I don't even say good Shabbos back because I'm flustered. I don't realize it putting me in my place literally at the time. Don't judge your friend until you've reached his place. Ethics of the Fathers 2.5 This is the Jewish version dating back 1,800 years of don't judge your friend until you've walked a mile in his shoes. This means that even when another person has done something culpable, consider the possibility that you would have done likewise if you had been in the same situation. Your employee or coworker quits, takes a better paying job showing no loyalty to the company that gave him his start. Before you say, I would not do that, think. But would I do that if I had his mortgage? Would I do that if I had his debts? If I had his size family? Admit you don't know the whole story. No court would render a judgment based on insufficient evidence, but we do it all the time. We see someone doing something reprehensible, we immediately decide guilty. What do we know of the background of the situation or that person's circumstances or challenges? Conjuring up the humility to admit, I don't know, can save us from judgments that are severe and wrong. Listen to this story about the plumber from the author Sari Riegler from Aish. Several years ago, they put in a new bathroom, complete with cabinets and new plumbing. A few hours after the workman left, they turned on the new faucet. The water pressure was nil. The faucet was defective. The next morning, she called the plumber. Yes, 
Rami assured me. The faucet was guaranteed. He would replace it. He couldn't come that day, but he would come the following afternoon. She waited all afternoon, but Rami did not show. At 4.30, I called, she called his cell phone. He apologized, but said he couldn't come. Why not? Where are you? She asked, annoyed. I'm, 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 at, I'm at home, he answered meekly. Well, then just come. You could be here in half an hour. Rami refused. In reply to the entreaties and accusations, he promised to come the next day. The next day, no Rami. By now, the water from the defective faucet was coming out in a trickle. It took three minutes to fill up a cup to brush the teeth. They were irate. What lousy service. But he was the only plumber who could make good on the guarantee. They called again. Again, he promised to come and he did not come. Over the next 10 days, he failed to show up seven more times. By now, they were filling up basins of water from the bathtub. During that period, the author was studying the other side of the story with a friend daily over the phone. One of the strategies the book teaches is to imagine extenuating circumstances that could account for a person's acting improperly. Since we have no way of knowing what the real story is behind the person's actions, the story we make up to judge him favorably is as likely to be true as the condemning Version. I repeat, very important. The story we make up for others to judge them favorably is as likely to be true as the condemning version. So she decided to judge the plumber favorably. After all, she told herself, even the worst plumber doesn't fail to show up ten times in a row. Something must be very wrong in his family, she concluded. Perhaps, God forbid, one of the children is seriously ill. Perhaps the child is in the hospital and his wife is sitting by the bedside all day. So Rami worried and grieving us to stay home to take care of the other children. Once she concocted this hypothetical story, the anger cooled. You come up with the story, the anger can cool. She could fill up a basin of water from the bathtub to use at the sink without fuming. She continued to call Rami every day, but the bark was gone from the voice. One day the doorbell rang. There was Rami with the new faucet. She greeted him kindly, showed him to the bathroom, stood there while he worked. Gently she asked him, is everything all right in your family? He shook his head, no. With a choked voice, he told her the story. His wife of 17 years, Loaleno, had run off with another man, leaving Rami stunned and stricken with their six children. A few days later, the wife realized the man was alcoholic and violent. We should never know from such things. He threatened her that if she tried to leave him, he would hurt the children. God forbid. Loaleno. After a few iterations of physical violence, she fled back to her family. While the author was fretting about her faucet, Rami, the plumber, was home protecting the lives of his children. You don't have to be highly creative to imagine a story that puts someone else in a good light. You just have to want to do the mitzvah of judging others favorably. You just have to want to do the mitzvah of Don Lekavschus. The mitzvah of Don Lekavschus. Not the nice thing. Not the cute thing. The mitzvah. Don Lekavschus. In the end, their truth may indeed be stranger than your fiction. If we try to think of stories, reasonable stories... To put others in a more favorable light, oftentimes we will be right. But much more than that, it will give us more energy to deal with the situation at hand and more empathy and honesty to deal with all those around us. And what a Braverman points out on H.com, if we react without listening, we need to begin by apologizing. I'm sorry, I should have listened to you first. Tell me what happened. Try at all possible to get the facts straight or get a firmer grip on the facts. Imagine the scenario that after a play date, you receive a phone call. You, you hang up after the phone call and immediately launch an attack on the 10-year-old girl. Shana's mother called to say to me that when her daughter came to play with you, you wouldn't share your toys. You didn't offer anything to eat. You just sat in the corner and played by yourself. What chutzpah? I raised you better than that. You don't know how chutzpah is. I was shocked to hear that. Didn't we speak to you so many times how to treat guests? 
Didn't we speak to you so many times how to treat your children? Don't you understand about sharing? The daughter starts sobbing. When she calms down, she says, that's not what happened at all. I offered her some toys. She wasn't interested. I brought out cookies. She wasn't hungry. I brought out juice. She wasn't thirsty. Everything I suggested, she shrugged off. She said, no. I finally gave up and just started playing by myself. Get your facts straight. Do a little digging. Do a little detecting. See what you come up with. Support your child and at the same time encourage them to take the high road. What if you get a call that a bunch of girls are picking on a girl in school and the daughter, your daughter is part of the group? Wouldn't you be very surprised? Not because the kids are angels, but because it seems very uncharacteristic for the child. But let's talk to the child. As you raise the issue, the daughter reassures you, saying, I wasn't part of this group. I believe you, we say. But since the other girl seems to think you are, could you apologize anyway? You won't lose anything and you make her feel better. Remember, there are at least two sides to every story. Sometimes our children really do make mistakes. Yes, it's true. We need to give them a chance to own up to it or explain whatever their story. Listen with love and encouragement. Put the arm around the shoulder. If they'll let, you may discover they really did act incorrectly. They may need to really apologize. They may need to have consequences. But sometimes it might be that you are falsely accusing them. How could we help the children grow? How could they help be loved? How could we help them deal with the situation? Too much love is never a bad thing. And Winner Braverman also points out on H.com, think about the time when we think about our own children or our own people in our family, why a guest wasn't more helpful at dinner. A friend just sat there when I was struggling with packages. My children's friends didn't make a greater effort to clean up their mess. Could be laziness or bad character. Same qualities I'm sure others were putting on me. But maybe they had a good reason. Maybe there was an injury that needed to heal, a wound that I couldn't see, I assume didn't exist. The author has a friend who had a heart transplant many years ago. She has a handicapped parking spot for her car. She doesn't look handicapped. Some people might think she's trying to game the system and take advantage of the spot. But she has an internal issue that requires a parking advantage. We just can't see it. It's hidden to the regular eye. Everyone has challenges, some physical, some emotional, some psychological, many of them private. Before we make assumptions, particularly before we judge others, we need to remind ourselves we don't know the full story. Think about this. Sarah Radcliffe points out on Aish, money is missing from your wallet. Your daughter says, I saw Josh take it out of your wallet. What are your immediate thoughts? Do you first give him the benefit of the doubt or are you about to ground him for a month? Maybe someone came collecting charity. Or the paperboy came to be paid? Or do you assume the worst? Judging others favorably is a mitzvah. Not just a nice thing, not just a cute thing, a mitzvah. Like putting on tefillin. Instead of jumping to conclusions that your son is the culprit, look for possible positive explanations for this seemingly incorrect behavior. Since we want others to give us the benefit of the doubt, we should try not to be quick to make negative judgments about our fellow humans. Come up with escape clauses possible, reasonable, favorable explanations for their behavior. The Torah teaches that the way we behave towards others is the way God will behave towards us. Nisano Safran points out on Aish, we all have a courtroom in our head. Each of us is the judge and jury. Whenever we see our friend do something that looks and might, be, not, might not be right, we make a decision. Or we give him the benefit of the doubt or pronounce him guilty on the spot. Torah teaches us, judge everyone favorably. Don Lakav Schus. Maybe there's a good reason why our friend did what he did. Perhaps we don't know the whole picture. Listen to this following story called Double Dip from the author Nathan Safran, where a girl learns the value of Don Lekavschus. Leah Stern had only recently moved into the city. Although it was a big change from the small town where she grew up, Leah was a friendly, outgoing girl who seemed to be able to adjust quickly. In fact, she already started to make several friends in the new school. She hit it off with one girl in particular named Debbie. Since they had first met, it seemed like they had always known each other. Leia would excitedly tell her parents about things she did with her new friend. She was especially looking forward to the coming Sunday when Debbie had agreed to come to her house so they could do homework together. Sunday arrived and Leia was excitedly preparing for her friend's visit when the phone rang. Leia raced to pick it up. Hi, Leia. Sniff, sniff. 
said a hoarse voice on the other end. This is Debbie. <coughs> I'm really sorry, but I caught this terrible cold over the weekend. I don't think I can make it today. Leah was quick to assure her friend that she understood and wished her a speedy recovery, Rafua Shalema. Feeling disappointed, Leah sat down alone and began to attack the homework assignment she had looked forward to doing with her friend. An hour later, later Leah put down her pencil. Whew, she said to herself, that was not easy, but I'm finished. There and then she decided to reward herself for her hard work with an ice cream from Benny's. Though she had never been there, all the kids in school were talking about how great it was. Leah figured this was a good time to try it out. She enjoyed the three-block stroll down to the busy Shopfield Avenue, so different from the quiet, almost empty streets of her old hometown. Finally arriving at the ice cream shop, she got in line to place her order. As she stood in line, she glanced around at the packed table. Suddenly, she felt a shock. There sitting at one of the corner tables with a group of kids from her school was Debbie! Although she was wearing her hair in a ponytail, instead of the usual way, there was no mistaking that it was Debbie who was supposed to be sick at home. Not only didn't she look sick, she looked like she was having a great time, the time of her life. Laughing and eating an ice cream cone, Leah quickly turned on her heels, sped out of the ice cream store before Debbie noticed her. Some cold! She just wanted to dump me, muttered Leah angrily to herself, as she practically raced home, hardly noticing the activity on the street that had so charmed her on the way there. By the time she walked into her front door, her eyes were red and teary. Leia's dad, who had been raking the leaves, noticed his daughter's distress, followed her into the house. Leia, what's wrong? He asked with concern. I thought Debbie was my friend and she made a fool out of me. Leia blurted out and proceeded to tell him the whole story. Mr. Stern nodded empathetically as he listened to his upset daughter. And tomorrow, as soon as I see her, I'm going to tell her what I think of what she did, concluded Leia bitterly. I understand how you feel, said her father, but maybe you should give Debbie a chance to explain herself first. From everything you've told us about her since you met her, Debbie doesn't seem like the kind of girl who would just hurt somebody like that. Perhaps there's a good reason for what happened and a way to judge her favorably. Leah thought about her father's words, but she just couldn't stop feeling angry with her friend. The next day at school, as Leah was walking down the hall, she heard a familiar voice. Hi, Leah! It was Debbie. Leah was about to explode, but then she remembered her dad's words and thought twice. There must be a good reason. She told herself as she turned around silently in Debbie's direction. Leah couldn't believe her eyes. She thought she was seeing double. There were two Debbies standing next to each other. One holding a Kleenex. And next to her, another Debbie with a ponytail. The first Debbie, quote-unquote, spoke up. Hi, <coughs> she said. Sorry I couldn't make it yesterday, but the day in bed <coughs> did me good. By the way, this is my twin sister, Eve. I don't think you've met. Leia swallowed. Hi, Eve. She managed to stir. Nice to meet you. I think I've seen you around. Now Leia realized what had happened and felt very glad that she had decided to judge her friend favorably. Oftentimes, we don't have all the facts. We don't know all the information. We don't know the full story. Make sure to fact check. Make sure to think things through before falsely accusing or jumping to conclusions. Reminds me of the famous story of the guy who goes away for 10 years when he comes back. He was taught a lesson from his dad. Never do something rash. Always sleep on your anger. And, and don't act in your anger right away. He comes home after 10 years on a trip. He sees his wife hugging someone, a grown man, and he's furious. This audacity of this wife, she doesn't see me for 10 years. She's hugging this guy. He's like reaching for the dagger and he remembers the words of his dad. Don't do anything rash. Go to bed before you act on your anger. Lo and behold, the next day he wakes up. He didn't realize his wife was pregnant when he left. She had a kid. He came back many years later. The kid, the boy was his own son. God forbid he acted on the anger. Should have thought to have a little bit down the cuffs that his wife was waiting for him for years and years and years with his own son that he didn't know. Think things through. Don't jump to conclusions. Make sure you have your fact checker. 
Aliza Ben Shalom points out on Ish.com, Has anyone ever seen the following scenario? Diana and David are on a date. The conversation is going well until David got a text and decided to read it at the table with Diana. What chutzpah! She decided to excuse herself, go to the bathroom so she wouldn't show how offended she was. When she came back, she was clearly upset, but did not say why. The date continued for another half hour. Shortly after the date, Diana called her friend Michelle who set up the date to tell her her side of the story. He was so rude. He actually texted during the date right in front of my face. Michelle called David to find out what happened. David answered the phone and said to her in a whisper, I can't talk right now. My brother was in an accident. I'm in the hospital visiting him. Lo, Elena, we should never know from such things. When Michelle told Diana what happened, her heart sank. If she had only known. How often do we say to ourselves, if I only knew. But you could have known. You could have made yourself know. You could have made yourself fabricate the story. You could have made yourself fabricate the excuse. Why didn't you? If I had only known. She didn't realize the importance of the text and that he stayed an extra half hour with her. Before heading out to the hospital, his instinct, his gut would have been to run right away, but he didn't want to offend her. She thought he was offending her with the text, but he struggled with himself staying an extra half hour to give her the decency of a good-sized date. Think about ways to judge people more favorably. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Assume a person is innocent until proven otherwise. Innocent until proven guilty. Instead of stewing about why David is on his phone, give him the benefit of the doubt. Assume it's important or urgent that can't wait. Don't hesitate to ask, is everything all right? Put yourself in another person's shoes. Try to think how they must feel. Stretch your thinking as much as you can. Some situations don't make sense. Was he caught off guard? Was he trying not to worry his date? Was he protecting his brother's privacy? Imagine you were David, God forbid. What would you be feeling? Don't think, take things personally. What other people say or do has more to do with their issues than yours. Choose to be a person who is confident in themselves. Fake it until you make it. She could have told herself David was reading a text. Doesn't mean their date wasn't important to him. She could have smiled instead of stewing and waited for more information. Don't be quick to judge. You don't know what's going on in another person's life. She could have chosen to reserve judgment until she speaks to the person that set them up. Be careful of what's called a thought storm. Our minds spin out of control, come up with crazy stories. Don't try to make sense of something that you don't understand. Be patient. Try to gather your facts. What seems to appear on the surface might not really be what you think it is. We definitely don't always know what's going on. We may be missing a lot of information. Try to think of logical explanations. Rabbi Daniel Fine points out on Aish that the Torah teaches we should give people the benefit of the doubt and judge people favorably. With righteousness, you should judge your fellow man. Let's say you made up to meet your best friend for coffee. You were looking forward to it for so many days. You hadn't seen him in a while. At the last minute, he calls to cancel due to an emergency. 20 minutes later, you see your friend out shopping with another friend. What a schnook! Jerry told me he would come sit with me for coffee and he goes with Sam to buy a suit. What a schmendrick! Your natural reaction is one of disappointment, anger. How could he lie to me like that and dump me to go shopping with his friend? Yet the Torah instructs us to reinterpret the situation, judge favorably, assume emergency. The other friend desperately needed some urgent attention and care. Your friend took him shopping to help him out. What's the rationale behind this commandment? Isn't the Torah commanding us to resort to wishful thinking and naivety? Maybe he didn't want to spend time with me? Listen to what the 13th century French rabbi named Rabbi Isaac Joseph of Corbeil explains. Judging favorably is one of attribution. Social psych studies show when it comes to my successes, I tend to attribute the success to me. When it comes to my mistakes, I tend to attribute them to situations. It wasn't my fault. It was the test was too hard. I did great on this show because I'm amazing. But I did terribly on this test because the test was too hard. So success is me. Failure is everyone else. Everything else, the situation. That's our natural bias. When it comes to others, the effect is the opposite. I ascribe other people's failures to themselves and their successes to situations. What kind of craziness is that? 
For other people, their failure is them, but their success is the situation. The tests they were given was too easy. You know, they happen to get this and that. What kind of craziness? We view other people's mistakes as them, and their success is due to an outside factor. My successes are me. My failures are due to someone or something else. But other people's mistakes are them. Their successes are due to an outside factor. This is where judging favorably comes right in. It doesn't mean to naively invent imaginary, unfeasible world, which everyone is right and innocent. It's teaching us to take into account other people's failures might be beyond their control. Their successes are really their doing. Of course, with Hashem. When I choose to think my friend went shopping due to a genuine emergency, I'm choosing to think my friend is someone who would not normally let me down or hurt me. This is not being naive, since it's the same positive attribution you would give to yourself. Use the same bias you have towards yourself. Be consistent in applying it to others too. You see yourself positively, so see others in the same light. Rabbi Gavin points out on Aish that Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz explains that judging favorably doesn't mean irrationally judging every person in a positive way, but it teaches we should judge people in a logical, reasonable, and fair manner. We might have a tendency to judge others in a harsh manner, not give them a fair judgment. The Torah tells us this is wrong. We have to think logically, rationally, realistically. It is a mitzvah. And Rabbi Pakuz explains on Aish, Think about different ways that can help us. Are you sure it happened at all? Sometimes our perceptions are wrong and mistaken. Are you sure the details are correct? One small detail can completely alter the scenario. Something may have been exaggerated or omitted that would make a difference. Do you know if the other person intended harm? Often the consequences are unforeseen. Do you know the assumptions the other person was operating under? Maybe it was a misconception that would explain behavior. Could the other person's act have been the result of an innocent human error? Everyone has limits. Perhaps they lacked experience, forgetful, distracted, or didn't think carefully. Do you know what events preceded the negative action? They may have been in a lot of pain or frustration or stress. There might have been a situation, a stimulus, like an illness or a loss, God forbid. It could be a deeper problem. If we could just step back analyze, think, judge favorably, the whole world would be so much better for all of us. Remember, we don't have all the details. We don't know the whole story. We should only judge favorably. Give the benefit of the doubt. See others in a positive and irrational light. The world could be so much better if we do so. The Gemara points out on Shabbos 127, a fascinating story. If you judge another favorably, you yourself are judged favorably. There was a person who came from the Galilee, was hired to work for a certain person, a certain homeowner for three years. When he asked for his wages to feed his wife and family, the homeowner said, I don't have money. You don't have money? I worked for you for three years? He said to him, no, in that case, give me produce. He said, I don't have produce. The worker said, give me land. The owner said, I have no land. The worker said, give me my wages, animals. He said, I don't have any. The worker said to him, give me cushions and blankets, please, at least. The owner said, I have none. The worker took his tools over his shoulder and went home. Can you imagine the self-restraint? After Sukkot, the homeowner took the wages with the burden, went and found his worker. After they ate and drank, he gave him his wages. He said, what did you suspect me when I said I had no money? Why didn't you think I was avoiding you? The worker said, I said, maybe you had the ability to buy something and you did it with the money that you owed me. He said, what did you think when I said, give me animals? He said, perhaps animals are hired for others. And he said, what did you think when I said, I don't have land? He said, perhaps the land is given to others and you can't take it back. And then the, the owner said, what did you think when I said produce? He said, perhaps they're not tithed. And the owner said, what about when I said I don't have cushions or blankets? He said, perhaps he consecrated all his property to Hashem. There's nothing available at present. The owner said to him, I swear by the temple service that this was exactly what happened. I had no money. I vowed and consecrated all my property to my son who didn't engage in Torah study. I couldn't give you anything. But the sages, they annulled all my, they annulled all my vows. And then I had the money to give it to you. Because you judge favorably, may God Judge you favorably. Fascinating story, literally from the Gemara. We should do what we can. The point is to concoct reasonable stories to judge others favorably on any small level we can. 
Maybe he couldn't text me back because he really got busy at home. The Gemara Shavuos points out, You judge another favorably, seek to find justification for his actions, even when it could be interpreted differently and it could be judged unfavorably. In righteousness, you judge your colleague. Try to judge him favorably. Shari Tshuva points out, If one fears God, you have been obligated to judge him. Judge him favorably in truth. Even if it's more sensical in your opinion to judge unfavorably, you go above and beyond, you judge favorably, because the point is we're commanded to judge those around us to the benefit of the doubt. Even if it might seem hard on some level to do so, think about their side. What it could have been going on for them in their lives. The only judging we should do is the judging favorably of others. Sefer Avchinach points out it's fit for every person to judge his fellow favorably, only to understand his deeds and words favorably. Bartonura points out on Pirkei Avos, it's possible to judge favorably, it's possible to judge unfavorably, but it is pious to judge favorably. Pious, not just the mitzvah, but it is a chassid, someone who's above and beyond to judge favorably. And we know Pirkei Avos points out it's greater is Torah than even priesthood and kingship they're gained with many things, and one of them is judging people with the benefit of the doubt. That's one of the ways to obtain real scholarship, real grasp on Torah and life itself is to judge favorably those around us, even when it may seem really difficult to do so. Sif Sechachamim says favorably. You need to judge him favorably, your fellow, when he's your fellow, when he's your, when he's your friend, when he's a tzaddik. If he's a wicked person, you could judge him unfavorably. But everyone, really, we should try, even everyone, as Kava Yasha points out, really a good rule to adopt is to judge everyone favorably, even one's quote-unquote enemies. He also says failing to judge other fam- favorably makes someone being quick-tempered, which is not a thing we want to be. So true compassion means to judge every single person around you, even enemies, to the side to the benefit of the doubt, which is above and beyond the simple letter of the law of the matter. Lakuti Maharan says judge all men favorably, specifically judge, because it's literally an aspect of judgment and justice. By judging him favorably, elevating him to a higher level, you judge him in heaven according to the verdict it will be. And he also says a person must judge everyone favorably. Even someone who is not righteous, it is necessary to search and find something good to judge him good. Because finding the benefit of the doubt for all people is a real justice to the people around you. Even finding any favorable aspect to a story to alleviate the negative knee-jerk reaction serves some helpful justice for people who might not always get it around you. And the Kutimaran also points out a person must has to judge himself favorably, yourself. Find in yourself some remaining good point in order to give himself the strength to avoid falling completely, God forbid. Pinin Halacha points out just as we judge sinners favorably and treat them with benevolence and love, so we hope Hashem does for us as well with His love and benevolence. And the Chavetz Chaim points out you must incline and judge a person by the scales of merit. As Chazal said, if you judge your friend favorably by the scales of merit, God will judge him as well in the scales of merit. And Kedush HaSlevi points out, Torah tells us we ourselves must initiate the process of justice by giving anyone who appears to commit a wrong the benefit of the doubt. As Megillah points out, man is measured by the yardstick he applies to others. We need to also judge ourselves favorably, not be hard on ourselves and cut ourselves some slack. If we judge ourselves and others favorably... Hopefully Hashem will us as well. And the Gemara Shabbat points out, Rav Yehuda Bar Shem, Rav Asi said, Six things a person enjoys a prophet in this world, and the principle exists in the next world. One of them be Achnasas Orchem, God willing, a topic coming up. Visiting the sick, God willing, also, hopefully, hopefully, Belinetta will talk about. And consideration during prayer, rising early to the study hall, raising your sons and gaining Torah. And one who judges another favorably, giving him the benefit of the doubt. He enjoys it in this world and the next world. Or Chachem LaRosh points out, you judge your fellow man as innocent, you give him the benefit of the doubt. And Sefer Midos points out, the sustenance of a person is diminished when he does not judge others with the benefit of the doubt. Because we never lose out by judging others favorably. Not only does it help us in this world, but it helps us and comes with us to the world to come as well. Let's just review the points to carry over. Again, I apologize for the technical difficulties with the phone dying. We should do what we can to concoct reasonable stories to judge others favorably on any small level we can. Maybe he just couldn't text me. He really got busy. We're commanded to judge those around us to the benefit of the doubt. Even if it might seem hard on some level to do so. Try to think about their side, what could have been going on for them in their lives. The only judging we should do is the judging favorably of others. 
One of the ways to obtain real scholarship, real grasp on Torah and life itself is to judge favorably those around us. Even when it may seem real difficult to do so, true compassion means to judge every single person around you, even enemies, quote-unquote, to the side of the benefit of the doubt, above and beyond the simple law of the matter. Finding the benefit of the doubt for all people is a real justice to the people around you, even finding any favorable aspect to a story to alleviate the negative knee-jerk reaction serves some helpful justice for people who might not always get it around you. We need to also judge ourselves favorably, not be so hard on ourselves and cut ourselves some slack. If we judge ourselves and others favorably, hopefully Hashem will to us as well. And we never lose out by judging others favorably. Not only does it help us in this world, but it helps us and comes with us in the world to come as well. If we're able to concoct stories for ourselves, we can concoct stories for others. If we're able to be compassionate to ourselves, give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, Allah has come of a calm, we should do for other people around us. If you can make a story and see negative, you can make a story and see positive. The more positive we see, the more favorably we see of those around us will only make the world better, will only make the world more peaceful, and will hopefully only bring the B.S. of Mashiach and the B.S. of the base of speedily in our days. May it be today. Amen. Join us next time as we talk the lecture series with Reb T. God willing, in two weeks here at 8.30. Bleed Nader, and I'm your host, Reb T.